Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, January 21st, 2018, on the basis of 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 17. Why are teenagers eating Tide Pods? Have you heard about this? Why do you turn on the news and see these urgent warnings to teenagers, pleading with them not to do something that not only seems utterly ridiculous, but seems so obviously like a bad idea, taking an individually wrapped packet of liquid laundry detergent and making a video of themselves eating it? Why do people in certain parts of the world live substantially longer than everyone else? Maybe it's because they don't eat Tide Pods. But why does an author by the name of Dan Beatner search all over the world for where people live the longest? And why does he find five communities that he labels blue zones? Places where people regularly live to be well over 100 years old. And not only that, but they live stronger, healthier, more energetic, much longer than than everyone else. Why do soldiers long for combat? Why does a filmmaker by the name of Sebastian Younger discover a small group of soldiers stationed in the very worst part of the war in Afghanistan, stationed in a place where they are isolated from everybody else for long periods of time, where the conditions are absolutely miserable, where their lives are in danger every single day. And when he interviews them, why does he find out That even long after they've returned to all of the comforts and all of the conveniences of civilian life, they actually long to be back on the front lines. Those three examples of human behavior seem to be rather extreme and maybe deserving of an explanation. So what is at the root of each one of them? Well, at least in part, it's what we're talking about today. It's community. Community, a a life where you are not alone and isolated, a life that is about something bigger than just yourself, a life where you are rescued from the absolute poison of constant self-absorption, a life where you put others' interests first and where others do the same for you. We might try to deny it, we might try to live as though it's not true, but the fact remains that we need, we thrive on, in fact, we were made for community. And so teenagers eat Tide Pods, and for that matter, do a lot of other seemingly inexplicable things to fit in with their peers, to be popular and be accepted. And a place that has strong family structures and tight social bonds, the people in that place tend to live a little bit longer and healthier than people elsewhere. And a soldier actually longs for the worst that war can possibly offer because that is also the place where he has a group of people for whom he would lay down his life and people who would do the very same for him. And that is the power and that is the pull of community. So can you live without it? That's the question that the Word of God that's in front of us today leads us not only to ask, but also provides us with the ultimate answer for. These words in front of us today were written to a group of Christians in the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a rather large and pretty important city in Paul's day, located in the northern part of what we would call Greece. 
Paul traveled to Thessalonica to preach the gospel there on his second missionary journey. And when he did, there was a substantial group of people who believed that gospel, who came to faith, who became Christians, but even more in that city wanted nothing to do with it. Specifically, the Jewish population in Thessalonica rounded up a violent and angry mob of people and launched a full-scale attack against Paul and his companions. They not only drove Paul from the city of Thessalonica much sooner than he wanted to leave, but when Paul went to the next city down the road, they actually followed him there and made him leave the entire region. So now Paul is writing this letter to the Christians who he left behind, the Christians in that city. And of course, unlike Paul, These Christians can't just load up the family minivan and leave town. This is where they live. This is where they work. But you can imagine that things were a little bit different now in the the city of Thessalonica. The gospel message that the city as a whole had spit out of its mouth like a sip full of of sour, spoiled milk. These Christians had actually swallowed and embraced. You can imagine that that had a little bit of an effect on their relationship with family and with friends. In fact, from this letter, we find out that those Christians were enduring some of the very same persecution that Paul himself had gone through. So in these verses, we hear Paul give thanks for the faith that these Thessalonians had, but it kind of makes you wonder whether the Thessalonians were quite as thankful. In fact, maybe there was just a little part of them that at times thought it would have been nice if Paul never had shown up in the first place, that they had never come to know this gospel and become so very different from the people around them. They were experiencing for themselves what the gospel, by its very nature, tends to do. In fact, that's how Paul describes it in these verses. When he talks about them coming to faith, he says that God chose them, that God called them out, that the Holy Spirit sanctified them, which means to set them apart. That in a world where they were surrounded by all kinds of lies about God, they came to know the truth about God. This process of coming to faith, believing in the gospel, by its very nature, takes people out of the group that they belong to. It sets you apart from everyone else. It makes you different from everyone else. Can you live without community? The gospel sort of forces you to answer that question because the gospel calls you out of the community that by nature you belong to. So do you notice that? As we think about how what happened to these Thessalonian Christians can also happen in our lives, it's first of all very important that we remember what is really at the cause of it. See, sometimes it's very easy for us to think that that the things that make us different from the world around us, that set us apart from the world around us and put us at odds with the world around us, are the things that we believe about, for example, how the universe came into existence. That we believe that God created all things in six ordinary days using only his powerful word. Or maybe it's the idea of what we believe about God's plan For marriage, that God has a very clear and defined plan and that we're not simply free to make it up as we go along. Maybe it's the idea of what we believe about men and women, about the ways that God made them differently and the different roles that he gives men and women in families 
and in Christian churches. Maybe it's what we believe about life, what it is, what makes it valuable, when it begins, and why it is worth protecting. Without a doubt, each and every one of those ideas makes us different, puts us at odds with the world around us, but none of those ideas is the one that we believe that is the most different. No, hands down, the one idea that is most different, in fact, that is diametrically opposed to what the world around us believes and really what, by we, what we by nature all believe is simply the gospel itself. That our relationship with God is not this two-way, give-and-take, back-and-forth contractual relationship but rather that all of God's best gifts, all of his best blessings, and all of his favor is simply offered to all people unconditionally as a free gift. The idea that God's big plan of salvation, his big plan to rescue us, was not to send down a role model or an inspirational leader that we can imitate and follow the example of, but rather to send a substitute and a savior for us to depend on. The idea that the way to get to God, the way to get to heaven, is not to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and climb our way up there, but rather to fall down to the ground in utter despair over our sin. This is the idea that is most at odds with and most different from the natural way of thinking of the world around us. This is the idea that calls us out of a community. So again, do you notice it? Aside from the out-and-out hostile persecution that the Thessalonian Christians faced and that, that we as Christians living in our world might at times face, if the one idea that truly makes us tick is the polar opposite of the idea that makes the world around us tick, I think we ought to be able to notice that. I think it's going to show itself in all kinds of ways. In fact, it'll probably show itself in every aspect of our lives. It'll show itself in our priorities, It'll show itself in our daily routine, our weekly schedule, our monthly calendar. It'll show itself in our budget. It'll show itself in the language that we use, in the jokes that we tell and the jokes that we find funny. It'll show itself in how we treat the weak and the vulnerable how we treat those who are different from us and those who disagree with us. It'll show itself in just about every way imaginable. So what if it doesn't? Or what if it, what if it isn't? What if we take a quick inventory of our lives and in all of those ways that I just mentioned, or, or maybe, maybe many others, we don't really see all that much difference between the way we are living and the way the world around us is living. I think you'd agree that it's, it's very easy for that to be the case. And maybe that simply illustrates the power and the pull of community. By nature, we don't want to stick out. We don't want to be different. We want to fit in. We want to belong. We want to go with the flow. In fact, maybe there's a time or two where even if we don't say it, we, we sort of live as though at least a part of us wishes that this had never happened to us that we would just be going along with the flow and swimming with the, the stream and we could just live the way that the rest of the world around us lives without even having to think twice. So what's the solution? If we need community, if we thrive on community, if we were made for community and the gospel by, by its very nature pulls us out of a community, what's the solution? 
Well, thankfully, with these words, Paul not only tells us that the gospel calls us out of something, the gospel by, by its very nature also calls us into something. Here's how Paul says that. He says that we have been called, we have been chosen, we have been set apart that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has called you to faith so that you might share in the glory of Jesus. So what exactly is that? Well, one way to answer that question would be to go back all the way before the creation of the world, before God had really done anything, before any of his characteristics were on display in terms of how he dealt with the world and dealt with human beings, before he had really shown his ultimate power and his infinite wisdom, before any of that had happened, what was God like and what was he doing? What was he up to? What, what set him apart and defined who he was? Well, one an- way to answer that question would be to say community. Before God created the world, God wasn't exactly alone per se. There was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all enjoying this perfect community, a perfect relationship of love, peace, harmony, perfect unity of mind and will and heart. And so when God created the world, he wanted us to enjoy that wonderful gift that he had been enjoying from all eternity. He created us in the image of God so that we could enjoy that community too. That's why when sin ruined that perfect community between us and God and between us and one another, that's why God went to such lengths to fix the problem. That's why he sent his son Jesus to be the Lamb of God who would carry on his shoulders the sins of the whole world and who would sacrifice himself on the cross as its payment. And when Jesus successfully completed that work, He was received back into that perfect community. Received back into heaven and even seated at the right hand of the Father in all majesty, all power, and all glory. Paul is saying that that very community that that God has enjoyed from all eternity, that Jesus now enjoys from his Father's right side in heaven, is, is also your possession. The Father's pride and joy as Jesus sits at his right hand is going to be the Father's pride and joy for you as you one day sit on a throne right beside him. The community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's the community that the gospel calls you to be a part of. And as if that's good enough, there's a few other people in that community too. That community includes all of the people in this room. That community includes all people everywhere who believe that very same gospel. That that community includes thousands upon thousands who are already before the throne of God. That community includes people from every race and tribe and language and people under heaven. That community is the focus and the center of all human history. That community is the community that Jesus causes nations and kings and empires to rise and fall for. I don't know what kind of company you're able to keep here on earth during this life, but I think you'd agree, no matter what community you're called out of, getting into that community is an upgrade. And so it's no wonder why Paul offers the encouragement that he does. 
He simply says, hold on. When we only think about the community that we are being called out of, we might even be tempted to just let go of that gospel message. But when we know the community that we are being called into, we're just naturally going to hold on for dear life. We're going to do everything that we can to hold on to that gospel. We will reorder our priorities. We'll reorient our lives. We'll redo our schedules and our budgets. We'll do everything in our power to ensure that that gospel remains our possession and the possession of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and the possession of as many people in our world as time and opportunity allow. Friends, the encouragement and the hope that your heart needs, the community that you need and thrive on and were made for, that community is offered to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you survive without community? Well, the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to. And for that matter, you never will. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.